Well, this is your host, Charles Cook. We're back, finally, on the Immigration Hour. It has been far too long since I recorded a podcast. Uh, the summer has been absolutely insane, and um, we have been so busy. Uh, as many people know who listen to this podcast, we have had uh, uh, another battle on uh, Senate Bill 386, which, uh, surprisingly, uh, many of us thought it was going to uh, pass once uh, Senator Durbin had some of his issues resolved. Uh, but then um, Senator Scott stepped in, um, much to the surprise of virtually everybody that I know personally, um, and opposed the bill. This It's not a surprise, though. Uh, Senate Bill 386 will not get 100 votes in the United States Senate. Uh, and Dick Durbin knew this, uh, and Dick, Dick, uh, Senator Durbin had been asking the other senators that he knew that were opposed to this bill to join him uh, in trying to get a hearing on the bill and trying to get better wording. And, and Dick Durbin also knew that Donald Trump's not going to sign this bill. <laughs> he knows that. Um, and that Stephen Miller was deep, deeply opposed to it. That became quite clear uh, when Senator Scott stepped up and said, after speaking to the White House, and he wasn't talking about Donald Trump. He was talking about the leading anti-immigration voice in America, Stephen Miller, who right now has dictatorial powers over immigration issues. Uh, and that's why Senator Scott got up and, you know, honestly said what he said, which I know to a lot of people didn't make a lot of sense. Um, and now he's being attacked, of course, as a racist by people at Immigrant Voice and what a terrible human being he is. And I guess before they were lauding him uh, when they didn't really know his position. But understand this. If Scott says suicide, another person will step forward. This is Senate 3, S386 is not going to pass the Senate uh, and certainly not uh, before the election. Now, at the election, who knows what happens? You know, Trump wins. I think S386 is probably dead. Uh, if Trump loses, I don't know. I mean, this is it, this is crazy stuff, but uh, zero chance for the election. It's just sad that at least one of the advocacy groups has to um, really poison the well with allegations of racism um, against the wrong people. I mean, we we know who's racist here. You know, it's the people sitting in the White House. Let's let's be clear about that. Um, so 386 is kind of there. It's out there. But uh, Trump's proclamations. Proclamations uh, uh, 10014 and 10052 issued in April and in June are really what's taken up most of my summer. Uh, we uh, here at Cook Baxter Immigration, we joined forces with our colleagues uh, at Siskin Susser and Greg Siskin uh, and at Joseph and Hall, Jeff Joseph and Zach New, including my partners, Daniel Claffey and uh, Phil Cook. And we uh, took a pro bono class action uh, for diversity lottery applicants uh, against the administration. And we have about 176 of our clients or so uh, that we have brought suit on behalf of uh, in five different categories. Uh, so we filed that uh, in early July. Uh, we filed a request for a TRO in mid-July. Um, and then the government moved to block all of that, that TRO. They've never responded to the TRO, and, and apparently the judge has ignored it uh, in light of the preliminary injunction that's pending with it. Uh, and he, uh, our case was consolidated from the judge that we had uh, and consolidated with Judge Meta, who had uh, uh, been assigned the case of uh, Gomez, um, which had been filed as an overall class action of all the categories 
of immigrant visas uh, that were being blocked by Trump, which is everybody except for spouses of U.S. citizens, who are also literally not being adjudicated at this time, but they at least are not barred. Uh, and um, But we, we felt the diversity lottery applicants who are in imminent danger of never being able to immigrate uh, if, the, if their cases aren't undertaken and are issued by September 30th. Uh, so we sued. Uh, and when our case was consolidated with Curtis Morrison and Rafael Oriana's case, um, from uh, 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 a, another different class action that they had filed, or an action they had filed, not a class action, but an action they had filed for over seven, maybe 900 different people. And so four different cases uh, are now pending uh, before Judge Mehta. And um, yesterday, uh, the government filed their response to our uh, motion uh, for a preliminary injunction, request for a preliminary injunction, and a TRO. Uh, and um, they, uh, it's interesting, they didn't respond to the, to the TRL, they just responded to preliminary injunction, which is interesting. I guess they're just ignoring it. Uh, and they attached, it was interesting, they attached declarations or affidavits from people in the Department of State uh, involved in the immigrant visa process. Uh, what's also interesting is uh, that they uh, had to produce to us documents um, in regards to uh, how they closed the consulates, how they closed the processing down for uh, every type of visa. And what's interesting is how little, uh, speaking from the plaintiff's lawyer on the diversity lottery aspect, how little of effort was focused on the diversity lottery. It was just kind of thrown in as an afterthought and has been regularly ignored since then. Now let's let's kind of take a take a, a, a calendar look, a, a, a time chronology look at the system and how it worked. Uh, sometime in uh, mid March, it became evident that uh, COVID was way, 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 way worse than uh, everybody thought it was, and the country began to shut down. And around um, March 23rd ish. The, um, the, the, the Department of State issued an order uh, closing down uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the Kentucky Consular Center and the National Visa Center. Uh, these, uh, this closing meant that the, the Kentucky Consular Center, which processes all of the immigrant visas around the world for diversity lottery applicants initially. So they have to get what's called documentarily qualified at the Kentucky Consular Center, which is part of the, really kind of part of the National Visa Center network. Um, and then the Kentucky Consular Center schedules them for an interview um, looking two months out at the process. So in March, they were scheduling May interviews. Now, one of the very interesting declarations uh, that was uh, that was given uh, by the uh, by the uh, report here um, in in the now called the Gomez case uh, is that they uh, they had scheduled people through March through May but they had only processed 13,000 of the potential 55,000 immigrant visa cases. Now, isn't that interesting? 
they'd only processed 15, 13,000. And in their declaration, uh, which uh, they, uh, they issued, this, or they included in their, uh, their brief last night, and this is where it's really, really interesting. They, uh, they said that they'd only issued 3,000 of these immigrant visas. Really? They only issued 3,000? That's, uh, that's honestly stunning. Honestly. Um, that's honestly stunning. Uh, in, in the declaration of Aaron Luster, who is uh, apparently the head of the uh, Kentucky Consular Center, or the director, uh, he says this. Um, on March 20th, the Department of State suspended all routine visa services done be, uh, due to the COVID uh, action. By March 20th, the Kentucky Consular Center had scheduled 13,000 diversity visa applicants worldwide. Of the 13,000 applicants scheduled, only 3,000 were interviewed and adjudicated before the suspension of these operations. Now, this is inconsistent with the Department of State's own published records uh, for visa issuance uh, in fiscal year 2020. Because uh, as part of their statistical information where they hand out the immigrant visas issued uh, by class uh, each month, uh, if we look at the March visa issued by class and you sort them out by di by diversity visa lotteries, uh, year to date, we thought it was somewhere around 13,000 for the year that they'd issued. Uh, and that apparently does not appear uh, to be the case. Uh, this is something that's really quite interesting uh, which would mean if they've only issued 3,000 diversity lottery visas, that means there's 52,000 people that will be able to immigrate if the judge grants our uh, preliminary injunction. And of course, there's, is there a physical way that the consulates around the world can, can issue, not adjudicate an issue, 52,000 immigrant visas before then? No, I mean... This is, this is where it also becomes very problematic. Because if we go back and look at the declaration of Rebecca Austin, which was also included uh, in uh, the government's uh, preliminary injunction, she is the assistant director of the NVC. Uh, NVC's uh, job uh, is to uh, um, um, really process visas at the consulates uh, to determine documentarily qualified people. Now, her affidavit pertains to everybody who's documentarily qualified, uh, not just immigrant, not just diversity visa holders. And um, this is, um, uh, you know, it's problematic on its best day. If we look at the, uh, the declaration of Brianne Marwaha, uh, Ms. Marwaha, who is the um, uh, Division Chief of Field Operations of the Visa Office, uh, said that the suspension of visa services included the scheduling of immigrant and diversity visas, as well as the cancellation of posts. What she doesn't talk about um, 
is why did they suspend the processing of the cases? Why did they do that? Her affidavit is particularly useless in that it doesn't say anything more um, than, uh, hey, we're just not issuing visas according to the proclamation. Uh, and by the way, it says natural just exceptions and uh, they're not mission critical. Therefore, you know, hey, we've, we've got nothing. In her last statement, she says this, numerous factors have impacted post's ability to resume routine visa services worldwide, including restrictions imposed by the host country government. Uh, other obstacles include mandatory quarantines and restrictions on movement. In addition, many post-staffing levels have been affected by employees' illnesses, absence to care for family members with COVID-19, although they presume no evidence of that, or mandatory quarantine after exposure. Um, but she doesn't, for example, she's in Santo Domingo, has 19,000 immediate relative and family cases waiting to be scheduled. Okay, well, the, the proclamation barred family immigration, so that's irrelevant. We don't know how many immediate relatives, they haven't scheduled those either. Um, so they are not, they, they, they literally offer no explanation. These, these affidavits from the employees of the United States government are literally useless. <laughs> They're literally useless, uh, and we'll make sure to point that out in our in our reply. Um, now, I want to look at the government's, I'm taking a look at it really for the first time. It came in after uh, I went to bed last night. And so uh, looking at it this morning, uh, they, of course, say the, the standard stuff. Uh, the court should deny plaintiff's request for a preliminary injunction that would enjoy the, enjoin the entirety of the presidential actions, blah, 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 blah. President exercises lawful broad authority to suspend admission. No, 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 no. See, this is they immediately, boom, they immediately use the wrong terminology, intentionally trying to confuse the court. The president is, is under 212F authorized in select circumstances for specific reasons allowed to suspend the entry of certain people. Entry and admission, as any law student who's taken my class at Emory Law School will tell you, are different things. They're different things. And we're going to suspend it, quote, while the nation addresses the harms to the labor market uh, and the country that have been caused by the devastating pandemic. Well, that's not a valid basis upon which to suspend entry of people that are entitled to immigrate to the United States. It's just literally not. Um, and Hawaii versus Trump doesn't give the president that authority. Let's um, see. First, plaintiffs are not likely to prevail in America. This is what's great. There are approximately 1,079 individual plaintiffs with each bearing the burden to establish standing. They have not met this high burden. At least in the diversity lottery context, that's not true uh, because we are going to prevail in America. Second, um, that... Um, as a matter of law, binding Supreme Court precedent, the Administrative Procedures Act, does not give us a valid basis to take judicial review of the presidential proclamation. Boom! Also not true. Have a nice day. Plaintiffs are also unlikely to succeed on their separation of powers claim. Boom! Also not true. Plaintiffs are not likely to succeed on various procedural claims. The Department of State does not have a mandatory duty to process their applications because the proclamation renders those classes eligible to receive visas. Boom. Legally wrong. 
legally wrong. They have a mandatory duty to process applications because the president only has an authority to temporarily suspend, if he can even do that. And this suspension, the initial one, was going to end in June. And they suspended operations, knowing that they could immediately resume in June. Why did they stop that? Because they never intended to resume. They never intended to do it. Evidenced by the fact that only 3,000 diversity lottery people have been approved through half the fiscal year. They should have used close to 25,000 of those visas. And they did not. And then finally, the plaintiffs are not likely to see on their constitutional claims under the Take Care Clause, the Due Process Clause, and the Equal Protection Clause. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, we're going to beat your bums on this. Now they say this. Plaintiffs failed to demonstrate an irreparable injury. Ne negligible evidentiary showing fails to establish a cognizable irreparable entry. Uh, so never being able to immigrate to the United States? That's not an injury? Well, I think they're just going to laugh about that one. Um, contrary to the public interest, if this court were to set aside lawful presidential proclamation, it's true. If the court set aside a lawful presidential proclamation, uh, yeah, that would be bad. But it's a good thing to set aside an unlawful presidential proclamation um, during a time of national emergency with a specific threat to the American workforce, of which there is no evidence... None. In fact, the only evidence presented is ours, which shows that jobs are created by immigrants coming to America. Hmm. So immigrants are going to help solve the economic crisis, not cause it. Now, isn't that special? Um, uh, and uh, so, you know, I, I think we win that without much of a problem at all. Going to the next thing, the third, and joining the proclamations would be contrary to public interest. Who's public interest? The public interest of maintaining our status as a nation of immigrants? The negative repercussions. What, what negative repercussions? Is great and irreversible. Great and irreversible if you can bring your mom to America. The pro oh, the proclamation, oh, the repercussions, we're all going to die. My mom immigrated. Ah, uh, yeah. Let's just, uh, let's just put the whining to the side. Proclamations address the catastrophic harms being inflicted on the U.S. literate. No, they don't. They literally don't. They include literally no evidence whatsoever. They are void. They're vacant. Uh, they're vacuous of information. Uh, a, a preliminary injunction would cut at the heart of the president's broad legal authority over the border at a time when he thought it was essential. Huh. Balance of equities decisively. Oh, see, this is how they're getting to the desperate part. Finally, even if the court were to issue some injunctive relief, that relief would need to be sharply limited. This is the dramatic reading of the government's brief, in case you were curious. There is no basis in law or equity support in plaintiff's request for a universal injunction that would apply to U.S. consular posts worldwide. Hmm. Interesting argument, because... Their position, well, it's never been done before, so you can't do it. Huh. So you're saying this is new area. Okay. That means the slate is clean, yeah. So the judge could do it. <laughs> Somebody's got to be first, right? Although there are, there actually are uh, at, at several instances in which the Department of State has been ordered to extend the deadline. All right, so let's be clear. 
Relief must be tailored to the injury asserted by plaintiffs and cannot properly extend further than Article 3, equitable principles, or the APA. The fact that plaintiffs have pleaded class claims does not justify universal relief, as doing so would regard key protections under blah, blah, blah. All right. That's just the, that's just the three pages of introduction by the government in their 75-page brief. Um, now, interestingly enough, they start out their brief uh, by talking about the impact on the U.S. embassies and consulates, um, basically quoting the declarations which I read to you, which are meaningless. Uh, he then goes and talks about the presidential proclamation. Um, and this is what he quotes is this. As the president explained, administering our pandemic, quote, being mindful of the impact of foreign workers on the labor market, particularly in environment of high domestic unemployment and depressed demand for labor. Okay, there's, there's no evidence of that. There's not, literally nothing supplied. An excess labor supply is particularly harmful to workers at the margin between employment and unemployment. Again, no evidence of that. These workers, disproportionately by historically disadvantaged groups, African Americans, those without a college degree and disabled, no evidence of that. Uh, literally, these are just bald statements. They, they literally have no evidence whatsoever. Now, keep in mind, the president's Muslim ban, the first two failed because they were equally poorly drafted. And you would think they would learn a lesson at the Department of State. You think at, at, at the president's, at the White House. But no, they, they, they don't learn a lesson because they don't care. They think they're kings. They think they can do anything, really. Um, so the president uh, has talked about these, to address these complex challenges, the president issued Proclamation 1004 and suspended the entry for 60 days. And when he did that, they stopped qualifying people for visas. Why did they do that? Really, the president doesn't have the right to end legal immigration to America. That's not what 212F gives him. Never. There is no precedent for doing that. None whatsoever. Well, you say it could be the first time for everything. No, not for that. There can't. Not for can't. Um, uh, then they talk about the President Proclamation 101052. Uh, um, and uh, he also announced the Secretary of Labor had reviewed non-immigration programs and found the presented mission of several not pose a risk of displacing disadvantaged U.S. workers, which, by the way, the Department of State is now issuing visas to on, in, in every, every area. I mean, I can't wait to point that out in my reply. This is just, this is, this is joke city. All right, proclamation that got, includes exceptions, which have now been brought in such a way that um, they include everybody, basically, uh, that wants to come to America. All right, procedural history, blah, 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 blah. They go through that for a few pages here. Unnecessarily legal standard argument. So this is where, again, they get into the, um, uh, that uh, it should fail because we didn't get standing. We do have standing. There's a big argument about that, but we clearly, the diversity lottery applicants clearly have standing. Um, the doctrine of consular non-reviewability has nothing to do with this case. Nothing to do with this case. We're not, at, we're not challenging a consulate denial. We're challenging, we're, we file a mandamus. We're challenging them doing something at all. I mean, that's a joke that they're using. In fact, this actually, if they really want to put consular non-review on the table, I am excited, 
excited to hear about concert non-reviewability. I would love to talk about concert non-reviewability because as the Princess Bride says in, in Nyoko Montoya uh, to, uh, to Fezzik, I do not believe that word means what you think it means. Um, third, no cause of action of the APA. Judge, the judge already shut that down. Plaintiffs fail to challenge a final agency action. No, uh, for DVD people, it's a final agency action. We, we got that pretty clear. Um, if they can combat those defects, their claims fail because a lawful exercise of 212F. No, we're going right to 212F, by the way. 212F is the hinge point of all of this. Um, 212 precludes admission of visas to persons barred under the statute. What's the statute? People aren't barred. Nobody's barred. He suspended entry. I love that they use the word barred here. I'm going to have, you know, we only have 30 pages to respond. This is, this is truly nuts. Proclamations do not violate separate powers of the INA. Yeah, 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 they do. Um, 212F uh, do not violate non-delegation doctrine. Yeah, 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 yes, they do. And that's never been challenged before, by the way. Uh, plaintiff's claims alleged with unlawful withholding with delay. Uh, relief all fails as a matter of law. No, no, they don't. Uh, take care clause, yeah, been fine. Due process violation, fine. Equal protection, yeah, we got that. Because, you know, if you win the lottery and you're here in the United States, you can apply for a green card. So, yeah, equal protection clearly is violated here. All right, so they spend, um, they're spending a few pages here to talk about standing uh, and our burden, which, of course, we knew. And um, let's see, prior to the court denied a TRO in Nguyen, uh, plaintiffs have failed with any evidence of their motion. Yeah, well, that, that's not our case um, and certainly not part of what we pled here. Uh, let's see. Bum, bum, bum. This is... Uh, all the plaintiffs of Gomez and uh, failed to provide the record evidence to establish standing, which is fatal to their PI motions. Huh? Uh, Acker's submissions for at least three individuals might have had validities when it went into effect, which means entries might not even apply to them under 212I. Um, yeah. Well, clearly they applied it because they can't get in, right? Uh, and that's, that was not clear from the first statement as well. Um, we, I think we definitely have standing here. Uh, we're going to win on that. Um, plaintiffs, DV plaintiffs have not met their burden. It is substantially likely that as opposed to merely expected the court can redress injuries in advance of the fiscal year. See, we've delayed your case so long that you can't prove injury anymore. That's literally what they're saying. Uh, if the court were to join problem visa processing issues affected by switch of routine services, as well as processing back, would render unlikely they can be issued. Because they intentionally did it. And because they intentionally stopped processing, what they're saying, well, I know we intentionally stopped processing your visas, but now it's been so long, and you have to get it done by September 3rd, we just can't get it done. So therefore you lose. That's the government's position in a nutshell. Uh, this... Um, this is, I mean, that is really one of the loonier arguments uh, that I have seen from the government in their brief. Uh, that, um, that is like, wow. Uh, I can't, I, I really can't wait for my turn at oral argument about that missive right there. Uh, let's see, the Tata Gomez. Suspended all team routine. Yeah, they suspended visa services at the consulates. They didn't, they, there was no need to suspend routine qualifying. There was no need to suspend processing. It's the visa, the last step, the very last step in the process you couldn't do. 
Okay, for other people, they're going to be able to, I mean, we're going to lose the numbers. I mean, they're going to use, the Gomez plaintiffs are going to lose all 400,000 immigrant visa numbers that weren't issued this year. They're never going to come back. But it's the DV people that really suffer here as part of this, uh, that literally made plans to come to the United States. Uh, so, uh, again, and again, remember, the, F, the declarations don't talk about this. The people that best know that they could have kept processing the cases failed to mention that they did get better of the buses. This is insane. Um, all right, another factor, this is on page 22, uh, affecting the redressability of plans purported injuries and effects, is even if consul posts around the world could resume routine operations, many of them have scheduling delays due to significant backlogs unrelated to the proclamation. The department confirms that in normal course it schedules immigrant visas out about two months in advance. Okay. Well, why aren't you scheduling them then? And just canceling them. That's what you were doing. Schedule and cancel, schedule at least, and, and keep the pipeline full. Again, they intentionally kept the pipeline empty. In Dhaka, Bangladesh, the U.S. Embassy can accommodate 1,085 appointments a month while operating at full pre-COVID capacity. They have 12,000 immigrant visas documentarily qualified. Okay. On top of that, a worldwide backlog of 10,000 diversity cases alone. But wait a second. Are they saying that Dhaka has 10,000 diversity visa cases alone? That, that doesn't make any sense. There is a worldwide backlog. Uh, oh, they're doing math. They're saying, so they, they jump from DACA and say, we can only do 1,000 a month, and then say, hell, there's 10,000 that could be done around the world. Not, not DACA. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Uh, this is, um, uh, let's just call it misleading misleading um, yeah misleading that's what that is um, now the court order that reserve unused visa numbers for fiscal year 20 may be granted determination about what unlawful as several courts of appeals diversity so they cite to a couple of appeals court cases uh, including one that was one of mine Nyaga uh, in 2003 uh, from issuing a visa pursuant to the program but those were years after the case and they did not necessarily involve the bad faith of the government. Bad faith of the government. Okay. And I think that the judge does have equitable abilities here to order the government to treat them as fiscal year applicants. Okay. Uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, Congress uh, provided relief for DV selectees and embassies in Nairobi and Dalai Salaam by permitting their application to be presented in subsequent fiscal year. Of course, we're going to be pursuing that. Uh, Muhammad and Fang Zhao make a conclusion research because they're alleging procedural violations, they said do not need to establish redressability. Uh, I mean, I don't know about the, the them. I know we addressed it in the Acker case. No cause of action under the APA. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a lot of drivel uh, that we don't know. The doctrine of, no, that's a, the doctrine of constant non-reality precludes plaintiff's claims. The doctrine of consular non-reviewability recognizes that Congress has empowered consular authority with authority to refuse issue to be made overseas. See 1104. And this is a, a site of D.C. circulation from note. The circuit has been very clear. The doctrine is the rule, not the exception. Okay? The rule is written in the ancient principle of international law. The power to exclude aliens is inherent in, sovereign, in sovereignty, necessary for maintaining normal international relations and defending the country against foreign encroachments and dangers. Quoting Klondiced, um, so, now, they cannot, however, point to a case that says, here is what consular non-reviewability is. 
plaintiffs cannot say, cannot state a claim on it to challenge consul officers' visa determinations. We don't. We're not challenging consular officers' visa determinations. We're challenging they're not acting on them. Not acting on them. This is a joke. I mean, really. Uh, we, we, I think we bring up consular non-reviewability in our, in our brief uh, that filed this, and it's, wow. Um, yeah, this, this is the quote. They cite this case from 2018. We agree the D.C. Circuit's analysis conclusion that plaintiffs may not challenge the denial of a visa under the APA. We're not challenging the denial of a visa. We're challenging they're not working. They're not processing. That absolutely is challengeable under the APA. All right. They've got the final agency action. Of course, this, they've already talked about, hey, you're not going to get processed anyway. So end, end of your story. Now they're saying, well, there's no final agency action, even though they are saying there is de facto final agency action because you're not going to get your visa issued. Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot in, uh, of analysis here that's congruent uh, within itself. You know, we're only on page 30 at this point. We've got, um, let's see, that's boring stuff. President's lawful exercise of broad authority under 8 U.S.C. Okay, this is, uh, they're now finally getting to the heart of the matter, which is uh, 212F or 1182F. And, uh, of course, they rely on Knopf and Hawaii. Uh, Thomas Kikurin. The president has inherent authority to exclude everyone. He does. But he does not have inherent authority to literally stop legal immigration in the United States unless he has legitimate reason to do so. And the issue here is he doesn't have the legitimate reason to do so. Uh, and that's really, I mean, our briefs are much more comprehensive than what they're arguing here. And it will be up to the judge, of course, to decide uh, what is what. Um, and I think Judge Mehta will end up doing the right thing here because I think the right thing is to say the president does not have authority uh, to suspend the entry of everybody in the world under a legal immigration system. It's not – see, the, the Muslim ban case was targeted ultimately to only seven countries. They became very country-specific. That's not the case here. This is world, generalized. Nobody can come in under a legal scheme. Authorized and designed by Congress. That, that F does not let the president, in one sentence, eliminate the entire statutory scheme. And if it does, then that's an illegal delegation of congressional power. Period. End of story. Um, I love their argument. Nothing in Hawaii, and this actually goes to Mark Meadows' statement on Sunday, where he was challenged when he said, "You have no evidence that there is uh, widespread voter fraud." And his response is, "Well, you don't have any evidence that there isn't." So, okay, you got that, right? So here's what they say here. Um, uh, where does this go? Um, I just had it right here. Blah, 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 blah. Um, huh, did I just literally scoot over that point? Did I scoot down too far? Um Whereas here the president acts pursuant to express or implied authorization, his authority is at a maximum, uh, and they cite Youngtown Sheet and Steel. Oh, that the Youngstown, uh, the, the, the steel case. That's always a fun thing. Um, now, here it is. Nothing in Hawaii suggests that 212F is limited to a particular context. Nothing in Hawaii suggests that it's not. <laughs> Using Mark Meadows theory here. 
Uh, they have failed, plaintiffs failed to address the body of case law on presidential findings. Said they focus on the use of the word finding in other unrelated contexts. Uh, that was in the Gomez case. He must not have read our brief on that. It is illogical to read 212F, as plaintiffs suggest, as applying solely in the foreign as they oppose to the domestic context. The entry of foreign nationals from abroad is always a foreign affairs one which the resident has independent constitutional authority. Hmm, that's an interesting statement. Um, let's see. Even if 212F required an explanation for a rationale, which it does, um, and which, it, why, which is why it was struck down twice before in the first two Muslim Muslimian cases, um, plaintiffs suggest the finding that more than 17 million jobs in industries seeking to fulfill workers tied to HPPGs and more than 20 million workers are currently requesting workers fill positions is insufficient. And yet they just, they, they literally just undercut their own argument by, by broadening the exceptions to anybody who previously had a job, anybody who was important to their job, anybody in key industry, which includes every industry. So they literally undercut their own arguments here. Um, now, uh, by the way, though, there is a case pending called Doe versus Trump um, where a, a uh, district court actually ruled that uh, the health care ban is, uh, is under 212F is uh, inappropriate, and that's on appeal. Um, so let's skip down to the next section here. They spent a little bit of time in it. A visa may not be issued to persons born. Oh, this gets into their why we stopped working on the case. A visa may not be issued to persons barred under 212F. 212F authorizes suspension of entry and has no effect on visa adjudication. They say the argument's baseless. Okay. That's not because um, the statute only allows for entry. Um, period. End of story. Um, so I think we're going to win that case uh, on that. And let's see. Uh, play, do not violate separation of powers. Well, if the president has all this authority, it definitely violates separation of powers. Non-delegation authority implicated by the present litigation. Um, absolutely. Um, and by the way, the law professors do a great job arguing in their brief on their amicus brief on this. Uh, plaintiffs claim alleging unlawful withholding, a reasonably matter, a notice of common violation, seek management, all fail as a matter of law. But Muhammad and Akrapleds are not likely to see the merits of their case. These claims are not challenged by but are the alleged policies and procedures, which there aren't any. Um, plaintiffs argue that even if they're constitutionally consistent, they have unlawfully suspended processing, which they have. They ignores the critical point of violations that ineligible to receive visas for the remainder of the year. Okay, so we're just going to stop working on them. Okay. Uh, presuming, and so the president basically planned on not recovering from COVID back in August, back in April. He planned on not recovering before the election. Now, isn't that interesting? I mean, there's a treasure trove of stuff here uh, that I think any good reporter would certainly want to take a look at. Um, let's see. Uh, Now, let's see what else they got here. Um, oh, oh, a bump there in my road, saving something here. Because I'm making notes as I review this nonsense. Um, plaintiff's unreasonable delay claim. Yeah, they just blow us off. Um, let's see, third factors. Yeah, so they blow us off. Notice and comment. Uh, they spent a lot of time on this stuff because obviously it's important. The Acker plaintiffs fail to make a cause of a claim of violation of the Take Care Clause. 
Um, even if this court were to look past the fact that actor plays failed to assert standing, which they didn't, uh, this claim is independently non-justiciable. Adjudicating such a claim would express a lack of respect due to the nation's highest elected official. Plaintiffs cite one case in support of their take cast clause argument. The you know, plaintiff's invocation of dispensing power are judicially enforceable. Actor plays failed to make a claim of the Fifth Amendment. Hmm. Not only is there a legitimate claim of entitlement to admission other than for themselves. Okay, they're going to blow us off on that. That's not a surprise. Um, um, let's see what else we have here. Actor plays failed to make a claim of the Equal Protection Clause. Uh, Fifth Amendment does not apply to aliens outside the United States. Okay, 1997. Uh, oh, by the citizen sponsors. Uh, so they're blowing us off there. I'm not so worried about that claim. Uh, failed to demonstrate harm. Well, clearly there's irreparable harm to DV people. And uh, so there they go. As they, as they uh, finally uh, put in all of their, um, uh, all of their dribble here. This is going to be fun. It's going to be fun to respond to this. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and post this on my Twitter page at C Cook, so you can all take a look at this uh, and uh, take a look at the uh, declarations uh, that that are uh, part of this. Uh, this has been um, interesting, to say the least, uh, as part of this process. Um, if you have any comments or questions, uh, feel free to reach out at ccook@immigration.net. We'll be back next week uh, with. Um, our, our reply brief, which will be in by then, and uh, more immigration news. Until next week, this is Charles Cook of the Immigration Hour here at Cook Baxter Immigration, where we're always on.